0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to hear the sermon. God, thank you that we can, again, gather virtually um, in our various homes and places. And we do pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear a word from you this morning. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, friends, I want to show you one of my most prized possessions. And I have it right over here. This is my Martin Acoustic Guitar. And if you know just a little bit about guitar, you'll know that Martin is one of the higher-end brands of guitar. Uh, They are of superior quality. Uh, They are are handcrafted. They are made with premium wood. Um, Every part of this instrument is considered to be uh, of highest quality. Um, I still remember when my granny helped me buy this when I was in high school. And (laughs) funny enough, for some time, this was actually the most expensive thing I owned. Um, Even when Laura and I got married, this had more worth than our beater cars. Um, So this is definitely one of my most prized possessions. Um, And it's an instrument that is carefully crafted for a specific purpose. You know, common sense will tell you that every guitar is made to play music, that's its purpose. Um, but the Martin's quality uh, makes it even further set apart from other guitars. It's meant to play guitar most beautifully. And friends, in the same way, God has designed us all with a beautiful purpose to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. Let me set this guitar down over here. Now, to, to glorify something means to bring something, honor or admiration. And we know that the Bible tells us in the beginning that God made human beings in his image. In other words, we were created to reflect God's character, his beauty, his goodness, his glory to all creation. We were meant to bring him glory and honor by our lives. But we know the story that sin has entered our world and not only the world, but our lives, our hearts, and our minds. And sin distorts our lives so that instead of playing a beautiful melody, everything kind of comes out distorted and wrong. So we end up playing out of tune. And in our church, we've been in uh, in the season of Lent uh, and in the sermon series called From Darkness to Light. And Lent is this spiritual journey of repentance, going from the darkness to the light. And each week, we've been looking at some practices that help us make this journey. Uh, In week one, we talked about the practice of confession and how that helps us uh, repent of our sins and draw near to God. And then if you joined us last week, we talked about the practice of accountability and how we need other people, a community that sharpens us in our walk with God. And today I want to talk about the practice of consecration, consecration. Now that's kind of a spiritual word, it's a religious word, but to consecrate something simply means to make something sacred, to make it holy, to make it set apart from everything else around it. Just like my Martin guitar is set apart from other guitars because of its quality, in the same way Christians are to strive to consecrate themselves to God, to be set apart from the world, from sin, and from darkness. We are to stand out, we're to be different, we're to be consecrated unto God. And friends, in the chaos of our world right now, the world needs the church to shine our light brightly, to shine the light and the love and the holiness of Jesus into the world. What if in however many weeks or months from now, the world could say, wow, did you see how Christians handled the coronavirus crisis? They were different. They were beautiful in the way that they loved, the way they cared. Yeah, they stayed home, but they also stayed connected. What if people could say that though the virus raged on, their peace was beyond something I could even understand? See, I believe God wants to use the church right now to bring more light into our world. And friends, the light shines the brightest in the midst of the darkness. So this morning, I want to ask, how can we consecrate ourselves to God in order to let our light shine in the darkness? Well, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, chapter 2, we're going to be especially looking at verses 20 through 22. And uh, you might need to pull it up on your browser or in your smartphone or where, whatever Bible you can grab today. And as you're turning there, uh, let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, this, most scholars think that this was probably the Apostle Paul's last letter. He is writing from prison in Rome, and he is writing to Timothy, his mentee, his his fellow pastor. And the issue that's going on is that there there are false teachers in the church who are distorting the message of Jesus, and the people in the church are arguing about it. Can you imagine that? People in the church arguing about something? Happens still today, doesn't it? And Paul, what he wants to do is he wants to help Timothy, in the midst of all the chaos that's going on in the church, to stay the course and to preach the word. And he gives them uh, many instructions, but the ones we're looking at today are from verses 20 through 21. And it says this, In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So I want to ask today, how do we let our light shine in the darkness? How do we prepare ourselves to be special instruments that God can play to make beautiful music in our world? In other words, how do we consecrate ourselves to God? Well, number one is this. Number one, we purify sin out of our lives. We purify sin out of our lives. Now, Paul gives us this image of this large house that's run by a master— and in this house, there are items of gold and silver, and of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some are for common use. Now, what you need to know is that the early Christians, they lived in an honor and shame culture, and it was very important to gain honor in the community and to avoid shame in the community. Now, when a master of the house was going to throw a party, a banquet, uh, he would want to make sure that there were certain items that that were set out that would bring him honor uh, in front of his guests in the community. And the gold and silver that's mentioned, uh, these would have been gold and silver bowls and platters that would be set out on the table as people are eating at the banquet. And these items would bring honor to the master because of their value, because of their beauty. And so Paul refers to these special items, and then he also refers to items that are for common use, Or other translations say dishonorable use. And the idea here is that some items would bring dishonor or shame. Now, these are things that you wouldn't want anybody to see. These would be items in the house that were used for carrying garbage or waste, things like that. Uh, Now, we live about 2,000 years from this passage, but it strikes me that we're not all that different today when it comes to this kind of thing, aren't we? Uh, In our home— we have an Eaton kitchen. And in in this kitchen, there is a, one of our old tables that we first got when we first got married, and it is scuffed up. There are scratches, there are water spots, there are uh, marks of all kinds. I mean, it is an ugly table. Uh, but we just set out whatever plates we can find. Sometimes it's paper plates, sometimes it's plastic plates. We don't really care what we eat on when we eat at that table. We're just kind of throwing the meal together and eating. And this is the table we use almost every day. But on special occasions, we go to the real dining room in our house. It's a much larger room. It's got a very long table with a nice tablecloth on it. Uh, and we're getting ready for company. We set out our nicest plates and bowls, things, platters we don't use, uh, very often. And, uh, we, uh, prepare that table for our guests. Um, and we might even turn down the lights in our chandelier and, uh, just set a good ambiance. And so when guests come for a special occasion, we set out the best items. And when guests come, not only do we set out the best items, but we also want to make sure that we hide some things that might be in our house. Uh, uh, For example, my wife Laura wants to make sure that we hide actually our toilet brushes in the bathroom. She doesn't want anybody to see that, so she hides them under the the cabinet, uh, underneath the sink in our bathroom to make sure nobody sees it. That's an item of dishonor. Uh, That's an item for common use. We don't want anybody to see that. So the point is, there are items that we want to display for guests, and there are items that we usually hide or clean or put away. They're not meant for display. God wants to put his people on display for the world. He wants your life to shine so brightly that he can put you anywhere among anyone and be confident that you will shine his light and bring him glory and honor in the world. But unfortunately, there are many in the church, many who claim the name of Jesus, who don't bring him honor. In fact, they bring him dishonor. They are not holy. They are not set apart at all. They're not any different from anybody else. In fact, they might be worse. And in fact, they're hypocritical because they claim to follow Jesus, but they live a totally different lifestyle. They're not useful to the master. They're not prepared for any good work. But rather, they are prepared to indulge themselves with whatever they, are, whatever they desire. They are not people God would want to display to represent him. Now, perhaps those of you watching, you wouldn't put, in your, you wouldn't put yourselves in that category Uh, But I think we can all agree that we all have sin in our life that our Lord would not want to put on display certain habits or attitudes or words that don't bring him glory or honor. And so I want to ask, could God show you off? Could God put your life on display to bring him glory? Could he show the world how you live when no one's looking? Could he show the world your bank account and the ways that you spend your money? Could he show the world how you spend your time? Could he show the world how you talk to people or how you talk about people when they're not around? Could he show the world how you serve? See, I think we all have some, I would call toilet brush areas in our lives that we, that we need to purify out of our lives. Paul says in verse 21, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes. You see, this is something that you have to do Yourself. Paul says something similar in 2 Corinthians 7.1. He says this, Dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. All those toilet brush areas, get them out of your life. Cleanse yourselves from, the, from these things. Friends, there's a hot commodity in our world right now, and actually I have some here with me. Let me show you. Got it right here. Hand sanitizer. Yes, everybody wants this. In fact, if you call 1-800-599, we'll sell you this for $999. I'm just kidding. We're not selling this, but uh, this is an illustration. In order to beat this virus and to see health in our world, every person is taking responsibility to make sure that their houses are sanitized, their hands are sanitized, that we can wash any germs that might contaminate somebody else. Now, in the same way, every Christian ought to be sanitizing sin out of their life. Sanitizing greed and lust and slander and gossip, filthy speech and quarreling and false doctrine and thinking and all kinds of godless chatter. People in the world ought to look at Christians and say, they're unusually clean people. Now, I don't mean physically clean necessarily. Well, that'd be a good thing. But I mean spiritually, spiritually clean. Ah, These people, they don't, they don't gossip at work. They don't slander. They don't lie. They don't, they don't cheat. They don't steal. Uh, they, don't, they don't spend their money on frivolous things. Uh, they don't join in with the crude jokes. They're just, they're just kind of weird. They're strange folk. And you know what? In the midst of all this chaos, they have had a peace and a confidence that I can't even explain. See, we need to be so different from the world. We need to wash and purify and sanitize the sin out of our life. So friends, be an honorable instrument that the Lord wants to put on display. Be those items of gold and silver that God will want to show you off to the watching world to let your light shine in the darkness. So that's number one. To let our light shine, we purify sin out of our lives. Number two, we dedicate and prepare ourselves for God's service. We dedicate and prepare ourselves for God's service. Paul says in verse 21, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared for any good work. Now, we just talked about the cleansing part. Uh, we, cle- we cleanse ourselves so that we can be dedicated and prepared to serve God. Um, and I want to remind us that, that we serve because Jesus first served us. He left the glory of heaven to become one of us, to take on the form of a servant to wash our feet. And not only that, to die upon the cross so that all your sins could be forgiven, free of charge. It's a free gift. And now he's been raised to life so that you can have new life with him and eternal life forevermore. That's the good news. And that's why we serve. And here's something really brilliant for, for you. Christ followers will follow Christ in his life of sacrificial service. That's what we're supposed to do. So those who will bring God glory are dedicated to serving him. And the question is, how will we be prepared for service to the king of kings? Well, Paul gives three qu- qualities here of the type of uh, people who are prepared to serve. And one, he says, they are made holy. They are set apart. Again, that's the cleansing from sin. God wants to use the best tools for his work. Uh, I think you would hope that your doctor— wouldn't just choose any old tool lying around that might be dirty or rusty on any procedure that uh, she might be doing upon your body. No, you'd want your doctor to choose the very best and make sure the tool is clean. God, in the same way, he doesn't want to just choose any old, old tool to use for his work. He wants to choose the best the brightest, the cleanest, the ones who are purified for his service. So might I suggest to you that perhaps your best service to the people around you, your best service to God, is to work on the example that you are providing for others. To work on your character. That's what the master is looking for. The second quality about being prepared is, uh, Paul says, it's someone who is useful to the master. And this word usefulness in the Greek, it's the Greek word eukrestos. And it means uh, to be able to do the master's bidding. Whatever the master wants the servant to do. Don't you want to be used by God for a special purpose? I think we all do. And I think even more so in the season, I'm reminded that it's really important to have things that are useful to do. Things that are useful to our world and to others and to God and so i think one of the best ways to be useful to god is just to have a willing spirit to serve say god i'll go wherever you want me to go i'll do whatever you want me to do i will serve however however you want me to serve let me give you an example when i ran track in high school i was not in that top tier of runners I was kind of on the second tier, okay? There was the good guys, and it was kind of me. And so coming into my senior year, uh, I knew that I probably wasn't going to win a lot of races, but I thought I could contribute somehow. Maybe I could be useful, you might say, to the team. And so occasionally that meant running a relay or running the mile or maybe running the 400, wherever they wanted to put me. Uh, uh, and then we had a guy in our team who was very, very fast. He was probably our best runner, and his name was Ladd. By the way, lad, if you're somehow watching this video, I hope you're doing well. Uh, you were awesome. Uh, and um, lad had a goal to break the school record in the mile run. And if you don't know, that's four laps around the high school track. And it just so happened that my fastest half-mile time was about the time that lad needed to run uh, in order to be on pace to break the mile record. So one day, the coaching staff approached me and asked, would you be a pacer for lad at the track meet coming up? Now, if you don't know, a pacer is somebody who runs out in front to set the pace for somebody who's trying to win the race or or break a record. And uh, people need a pacer because we actually usually run faster when we have someone to chase or who's running with us. And so the coaching staff asked me, uh, we're gonna put you in the mile, but will you run as fast as you possibly can for two laps so that lad has the best chance at breaking the record? I said, absolutely. Now, I knew I couldn't win the mile, uh, but I could be a pacer. So we're at the track meet. Fans and family are in the stands watching, and no one has any idea what I'm about to do. And the gun goes off, and I take off as fast as I can, and I am in the lead for the mile. And people are cheering, and people are astonished why is Nate in the lead? He's never in the lead. What is going on? But this is amazing. Go, Nate. And I'm soaking it all in, and I, and I, I finished my second lap, and, I, and the time was right on, and, and then I am totally out of steam. I am just, I am totally spent. And so I just, I'm trying to grit the rest of the two laps out, and people are passing me, and I finally finished the race in about eighth or ninth place. And uh, the guy, one of the guys who passes me on the final stretch as, after we crossed the finish line, he kind of took, put his arm around me and said, hey man, hey, great great race. Uh, but next time you might want to pace yourself a little bit better. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, thank you. Thank you so much for the advice. But it didn't matter to me any type of criticism I might received. Uh, it didn't matter that no one really understood what I was doing except for a few people. What mattered to me is that Lad won the race, And that he ended up breaking the school record in the mile run. And I got to be a part of it. I got to be useful to the team. This is the kind of attitude that our Lord is looking for from his servants. People who just want to contribute to the team. But oftentimes we get tripped up. We Sometimes we only want to serve when it's convenient for us, when it suits our desires, when it suits our wants, our needs, our schedule. But we need to have the attitude God, I'll do anything. I'll do anything short of sin to serve your kingdom and to reach people. Where do you want to use me, Lord? Put me in, coach. I'll play any position you want me to play. I just want to be in the game. So those who will be useful to God are those who will be willing to do anything for God. So Paul says, made holy, useful, and then the third quality, prepared for any good work. The Bible says that we should be prepared in season and out of season. Doesn't it kind of feel like we're out of season right now? Church is canceled. We can't gather together. Uh, Things that we had planned, we can't do. Kind of feels like we're out of season. But it's also we're kind of in season as well because we are needing to step up in ways, in, in ways of service that we're not used to doing. In fact, I got a team of people I'm talking to right now who are not used to being in this room filming this so that we can put on this service for the church. We're finding our muscles are being stretched and we're being called into new ways of being the church together. And we need to be prepared to serve our master in every circumstance we find ourselves in. And this idea of being prepared, it echoes what Paul is about to say in the next chapter from a very well-known verse in the Bible. Paul's gonna tell Timothy in chapter three, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. There's useful again. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, scripture, it teaches us what is true and how to live. It rebukes us for our sin, it corrects our twisted thinking, and it trains us to do what is right. In other words, scripture consecrates us for service to God. And being in Scripture consecrates us over time. It's a process. And sometimes you don't even realize it's happening as you're engaging in it. In fact, in our Bible reading plan, uh, we've been reading the book of Exodus. Uh, and it's been some fairly difficult reading because there's, we're uh, in the part where God is describing all the different utensils that go in the tabernacle. Uh, but all of these utensils, all of these furnishings, they were consecrated items for sacred use in the tabernacle, in the ministry of worship. These were just ordinary things. They talk about poles made of akasha wood overlaid with gold and, and curtains and hooks and incense. But everything had to be consecrated with special ceremonies to take what was just a common material and to make it sacred and devoted to a sacred task for the worship and service and glory of God. This can be hard material to read at times, but it shows the great care that God took in consecrating the physical items of the tabernacle in his service. And if God would take that much care over just items, how much more care does he want to make sure that you are consecrated to his service, that every part of your life is holy and brings honor and glory to his name so that you will be prepared to serve him at any time, at anywhere, to anybody. To let your light shine in the darkness. So that's the second thing we do. We dedicate and we prepare ourselves for God's service. And finally, number three, we pursue holiness alongside others. We pursue holiness alongside others. This is the final piece of the puzzle. Uh, In terms of running, we've we've run away from sin. Now we've prepared ourselves for the new direction we're going, and now we run towards holiness. Paul says in verse twenty-two, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So the first thing we, we run away from the evil desires of youth. We're called to flee our immaturity, and this is a immediate call to action. Uh, if you remember the story in Genesis, where Joseph is in Egypt and he's serving Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife keeps enticing him to try to commit adultery, and one day she grabs him and by his cloak, and what does he do? He runs away, as fast as he could. He got out of there as fast as he could in order to not be in any situation that would bring him harm or an occasion for sin. So we run away from sin in order to run to holiness. This is something we pursue with our lives. And Paul uses four words that I think if we're true of us, our light would shine so brilliantly in the world. He says righteousness, that is doing what's right towards God and towards others, obeying the commands and laws of God. He says uh, faith, that's in other words, our faithfulness, our loyalty to Jesus. Love, that's our self-sacrificing for another's good. And then peace. Pursuing peace and reconciliation with all people. And we're going to need to, need to get good uh, at peace, at making peace with others. Because God calls us to holiness not by ourselves. This isn't something we just do as a monk somewhere and we're, we're, we're just meditating all by ourselves. No, this is something we're called to do alongside other people. It says Paul says, pursue peace along with those who call on the Lord. I like what William Barclay says. He says, Christians must never seek to live apart and aloof from others. They must find their strength and their joy in the Christian fellowship. Friends, this is certainly a challenge right now in the season we find ourselves in, in all of this social distancing. And I think Satan Satan would love nothing more than just to separate the sheep and see us be scattered. But when you think about coals, Coals that need to stay hot need to stay together. What happens to the coal that's separated? It grows colder. So it's imperative that during the season we're we're finding ways to be creative and connect as we pursue this life in Christ together. So let me recap. Friends, God wants to use you to shine a light in the darkness of this world. And like my Martin guitar, he wants to put you on display and he wants to play a beautiful melody with your life to bring him honor and to bring him glory. So how are we going to do that? Well, we purify sin out of our lives, we dedicate and prepare ourselves for God's service, and we pursue holiness alongside others. And when we do these things, we will be consecrated, made ready for the master's use to bring him glory. Let me give you a few questions for reflection. And you can use these as a family or as a small group or wherever you find yourself. Questions for reflection. What sinful behavior needs to be purified out of your life? Perhaps the Lord convicted you of something even during the sermon, something that you can work on. Number two, what service is God calling you to do? Is there an opportunity before you in this season that God might be stretching you to use your gifts and your skills in a new way? And finally, number three, who is God calling you to stay connected to? We need that in this day. And then let me just give you a couple thoughts on that application. And I want to give you the exact same application I gave you last week. Find an accountability partner. In this season, I believe it is so crucial. How much more crucial is it to have somebody who's checking up on us, seeing how we're doing in our spiritual lives, seeing how we're, we're, we're just doing emotionally, mentally, and physically. Um, someone who can pray for us on a regular basis. We need that. So if you didn't take action on that last week, I encourage you to do something about it this week. Find one person. And ask them, will you help me in my walk? Will you hold me accountable? Will you ask me how I'm doing with the Lord? And finally, the other idea for application is to intentionally connect with the tools we have available to us. We have the old school tools of letters, phone calls, emails, ways of staying connected. Um, But you also may need need to get creative on learning how to use Zoom uh, and other apps that might help us stay connected as small groups and as people together as the body of Christ. So these are things I, could, I invite you to apply this week. And now let me end with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, The one who desires to truly serve God wants to be pure within and without. He desires perfection. He labors daily to conquer every sin and strives with all his might to serve his Lord. He wishes to be solid, substantial metal purged and purified to the utmost possible degree and fit for the highest purposes. We must be full of his light if we are to illuminate the darkness.